Hello, and welcome to Everyday Medicine. I'm Dr. Luke, and in this podcast series, I'll be sharing conversations with colleagues, exploring their special interests in medicine and bringing insights, ideas, and advice for your medical practice. In the podcast today, we have a conversation about liver space occupying lesions, often found asymptomatically and incidentally on abdominal imaging. Benign lesions may represent cysts, hemangiomas, areas of focal fatty change, or focal nodular hyperplasia. More important structures such as adenomas need to be considered, as of course to hepatocellular and secondaries. It's important to consider if your patient has background chronic liver disease and to understand the arterial, portovenous and hepatobiliary phases of imaging. To walk us through this with his special approach, please welcome experienced hepatobiliary surgeon Mithra Strithran. Uh, Mithra Strithran, I'm very grateful that you've come back uh, for another round to discuss uh, with me on Everyday Medicine, this time uh, space-occupying lesions in the liver, which, you know, we've been talking a little bit before the recording about how common these structures are. So I'd like to put a case to you. So if someone uh, is referred to you by a general practitioner or perhaps by myself with a space-occupying lesion in the liver, it's picked up largely incidentally and let's say by CT scan, and it's about one and a half centimetres, one and a half maybe to two centimetres, that sort of size structure. And uh, the radiologist has, again, been a bit um, a bit cagey. He's given a set of differentials, and we don't know what this is exactly. Is it an adenoma? Is it FNH? Could it be in a very early HCC? Um, Can you walk us through this kind of scenario? How, how do we make sense of that kind of lesion on imaging? No problem. Thanks, Luke, for having me back. Um, yes, so liver liver lesions are common, and it's probably one of the commonest things I see. So at about a one to two centimeter lesion, it gets pretty hard to really be sure sometimes. Again, the, the easiest way with, with anything, lesions are come, have some sort of classification system. And with liver lesions, you can either say they're primary or secondary. Liver lesions often get a lot of secondary lesions that come from somewhere else. And then you can talk about neoplastic and non-neoplastic. The first thing you need to worry about, I mean, I'm assuming this was found on a CT scan. CT scan, yeah. incidental. So CT scan, usually if, if for another reason, it's usually just a one phase that they're doing a portal venous phasing, and it can be very hard to tell what that is. The, at one to two centimeters, I'll just list some of the things that you know yes. we worry about. So, so with primary liver lesions, you know, there's things like hemangiomas. Common. Common, yeah. Uh, liver cysts, simple liver cysts, which are common. Common. Um, then you've got these other things like FNH, which is focal nodular hyperplasia, which again, along with adenomas, are more common in females and younger females. And then things like HCC. Um, and then you talk about your sort of your other non-neoplastic things like abscesses. Usually they'll have some sort of other history along with that. Yes. Biliary cyst adenomas, which are, you know, which are again um, sort of pre-malignant things and mucinous cysts, which again were a lot rare, a lot rarer in the liver. Mm. Um, and then secondary lesions, remember, well, it's a very common place for metastatic spread of things. So mm-hmm. commonness, obviously, colon, but it could be anything, really. Anything can go to the liver. So you need to, to be wary of that. What, um, what is very important about the liver to remember is that it's got a dual blood supply. So there's a, portal, there's a portal supply and there's an arterial supply. And that helps us differentiate a lot of these lesions. So as a result, anything which has multiple phases in the scan is very useful. 
Mm. So a multi-phase CT scan or a multi-phase MRI. So with a multi-phase CT scan, they do a they do a no contrast scan. They then do an arterial phase, a portal venous phase, and they do a delayed venous phase mm. to see if especially to see if there's any uh, contrast being retained. Two centimeters is a classic where it can be hard to tell either yes. way. Okay. Um, depending on the age, etc., it helps you define what, what you're likely going to need. The hardest ones to differentiate are hemangiomas, FNHs, and adenomas. Yes. So the ones that we only FNHs and hemangiomas are completely benign, so they don't we don't have to worry about that. And once you've diagnosed them, you can almost forget about them. Adenomas, unfortunately, do have one a malignant risk and two a bleeding risk, so we do need to keep an eye on them. So one one thing that technology has done very well in the last ten years is really in in liver imaging. So. Um, MRI has multiple phases, and now that we can use contrast, we've got a very liver-specific contrast. It's called Primavist. It's got gadolinium in it, and it's taken up by the liver cells, hepatocytes, and it's excreted through the bile ducts. So this allows us to do not just an arterial phase, a portal venous phase, also gives us a biliary phase, a 20-minute hepatobiliary phase, when where the contrast gets excreted into the bile ducts, and you can actually look at your bile duct anatomy. On top of that, MRI gives us great images of the hepatocytes as far as fat content, which is very important mm-hmm. because FNA, adenomas in particular, and in particular, that there are multiple types. The, the most, one of the most common types, HNF alpha type, has a very, very high fat content, and you can tell that on MRI. So the dynamics, so we talk about the, the, um, the contrast dynamics of these lesions is very, very important. Uh, adenomas tend to look a lot like HCCs, without cirrhosis, so they, they're mm. hypervascular. So they take up contrast in the arterial phase. Mm. They're iso-intense in the um, sort of portal venous phase. In mm. the delayed phase, they're hypo-dense. Mm. So they actually get rid of their contrast very quickly. Mm. Wash out quickly. Wash out quick. Mm. Um, FNHs can be very similar, but FNHs tend to, cla- FNHs, a classic FNH tends to have a, a central artery that seems to feed the whole FNH. Mm. And you can often see that in, a, in the arterial phase. You can see this nice central scar, which is where the arterial uh, provides. The difference between the FNH and the adenome is the FNH, there's no neoplastic content to an FNH. Mm-hmm. So that's, all it is, is it's hyperplasia, and it's hyperplasia of all the components of the liver. So not just hepatocytes, the bile ducts, mm-hmm. the sinusoids, everything. So they're all in there, but they're badly organized. So mm-hmm. when it takes up primavist, it takes it, the, the hepatocytes will take it up and then it'll actually excrete it into bile duct cells that are there, but they can't go anywhere. Mm. Mm. So they just stay there. So in the 20 minute phase, you will see that these lesions will be bright. It is hard to tell, unless you've got one of those proper screens, you can't tell for sure, but they definitely are brighter. At two centimeters, you should be able to see it. Okay. Uh, adenomas tend to again wash out. So they should be iso intense or hypo dense in their hepatobiliary phase, usually iso intense. Hemangiomas, um, again, the classic thing with hemangiomas is they, they tend to fill from the periphery towards the center. So when you've got the arterial phase, you can see the outside starting to fill and they slowly gets more and more and then washes out late. Hemangiomas, you can actually confirm a hemangioma at two centimeters on a red cell scan because they'll accumulate red cells. All it is is a mixed up jumble of vessels. Yes. They don't bleed, so there's nothing to worry about. It's one of the biggest things people worry about is Will it bleed? No. Bleed will, or rupture? They won't. Yeah. They won't rupture. Even giant cavernous hemangiomas. Mm. There's been in Australia. There's been no reported uh, incidents mm. of a mm. giant cavernous right. hemangioma rupturing, mm. so we don't have to worry. Mm. But they do cause other trouble. So they can push on things. Yes. And because of it, it's a huge 
reservoir of blood cells. You do get destruction of red blood cells there because it's not very organised flow. Yeah. Okay. So they do get um, uh, hemolytic anemias, etc., from that. So it is it is sometimes worth treating that. It's important to know that FNH and adenomas happen more common in women. So it's in young women, and we think we're not sure, but there certainly is a hormone driver to this, and it's probably estrogen. Mm. which is why women tend to get it. We know HNF-alpha and inflammatory type adenomas in particular, two most common, are estrogen-driven, and the, the oral contraceptive pill is a big, big factor. For big factor, yeah. So it's important to understand when you're looking at a space-occupying lesion whether there's background liver disease, is the patient cirrhotic, mm. or do they have uh, some chronic viral hepatitis that hasn't been treated like hep C or something? Yeah. We can treat that now, fortunately. Yeah. But that, that's going to influence, I guess, our thinking. So at two centimetres, would you would you do a, a primavis scan? I would if I haven't got enough information from the CT. I would do, I would do a primavis scan. Uh, I usually we can have some sort of inkling about what this is going to be, especially if it, is it going to be hemangioma or not. Mm. If it's going to be hemangioma, um, you, you know you could go straight for a red cell scan. Yes. Okay. Um, but if it's, you, you're pretty sure this isn't a hemangioma, then a, a, an MRI with primavist will give you a lot of information. Yeah, and you do that at two centimetres? Yeah? I would do that yeah. at two centimetres. And can, can you order that through this private and public means of doing these things? It's not, it's not covered, I don't think, by Medicare at this stage in Australia. No, no, primavist is not covered. But a lot of public hospitals will cover it if it's ordered right. from the, you know, the hepatology or the HIV unit. unit. Yeah. Mm. So uh, do you have a cutoff? If it's two centimetres, you'll do that. If it's yeah. one and a half centimetres, and you can't really see anything that's worrying no. on it, would you just monitor that case for a little while? I would, the back and yeah, I mean, it, 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 that's very difficult because between one to two centimetres can be very hard to differentiate. Yes. Um, less than one centimetre, there's no point. We're not going to see it. The yeah. MRI may not be useful at all. Yes. Um, so less than one centimetre, you might get them back. Yeah, I'll just get With them another back. ultrasound or another CT? I would do um, a CT, a multi-phase CT. I think right, you get better. perhaps six months. Six months is a good, okay. good place to start. Um, two centimetres, I would, I would definitely do an MRI. In between, it's hard to tell. Again, you have, you have to have a level of suspicion. Yes. Um, the closer it is to two centimetres, the more likely it is to be useful. So. Okay, so let's say so you've got that two centimetre lesion and you're pretty confident based on the imaging, which is really important, and obviously you've got to have a yep. good relationship with the radiologist, I think, don't you, to, mm. to order these tests uh, and to review them. It's an adenoma. You're pretty sure it's an adenoma. Yep. What, what are you going to do then? It's two centimetres. What, what's your plan? So the biggest things that, uh, that will determine what you do with an adenoma is the size and the type. So the old, you know, adenohistologically, you can break down adenomas probably to seven different subtypes. It used to only be four subtypes, but now, now we know there's more than that. There's seven types. And the two commonest ones are both estrogen-derived. So the commonest is probably in Australia, inflammatory type, and that has a classic MRI appearance. At two centimetres may be hard to tell, but they are T2 intense because they're inflammatory. They've got a lot of fluid. They're, right. they're, they're, they're edematous. And on, you know, on histology, they stain strongly for CRP, C-reactive protein. The other type is HNF-alpha. They've probably got the same number of incidents. So they're probably about 30 to 40% of all adenomas mm. are either uh, are, are HNF and about 30, 40, 30 to 40% are inflammatory. The HNF ones have a very, very high fat content. So you can tell that an MRI, especially when you have an in-phase and opposed phase, mm. and when mm. you get the fat dropout, on the opposed phase suggests intracellular fat, and it's almost certainly going to be an HNF alpha adenoma. So at two centimeters, their bleeding risk is very low. Their malignant transformation risk is actually very low as well. Mm, okay. So um, when they get to three to four centimeters, we need to be worried about bleeding. 
and that's when resection is, a, is, is generally recommended. Important thing is if you know a, a female has an adenoma and they're planning on getting pregnant, that adenoma will grow rapidly. Mm, okay. So, you know, it's, it's something that needs to be planned. So um, the first thing I usually get people to do is just stop the oral contraceptive pill if it's yeah. possible. Sometimes yeah. it's not possible, but we generally try and encourage them to stop it and maybe move to a progesterone-only pill or try other forms of contraception if it's purely for contraception. Right, okay. Yeah. But uh, four centimetres is sort of like the magic number to remember. Anything above four centimetres probably needs to be treated. There is a third type, which is more common in men. So that's a mm. beta-catenin. So yes. that's the beta-catenin type. And there's two different ex- uh, axons that can be um, can be mutated. And, and one has more of a malignant risk than the other. But they're both associated with... Um, with men and usually exogenous um, steroid use. So it's often with um, people using anabolic steroids. Right, okay. Um, and they have a very high, um, they have a very high uh, malignant potential. So these are the ones that turn into HCCs. Often mm. we see them, I think for, for you and me, you'd see these um, de novo HCCs, HCCs mm. in a normal liver, probably from a beta-catenin right. and no Okay, yeah. that's, that's just developed an often. Yeah. It's, Sounds like we should send a, a, a tweet to uh, the ex-governor of uh, California. <laughs> yeah. Have it checked. So that that's um, it's very detailed, isn't it? There's a lot of information. It here. Is, yeah. There's a lot a lot of information that has developed. So four centimeters, you're saying, is a sort of uh, cutoff where mm. you would be arguing that patient should be resected. Can you explain why they bleed? Well, I've never seen one, fortunately. I've yeah. never been associated with someone who's had that hemorrhage. I, do you know why they... Well, these are these are uh, vascular lesions. So right. most of their blood supply comes from the hepatic artery, actually. So that's why they're, they're hyper-intense on, on uh, that. A fair bit of pressure, yes. Yeah, and uh, I just I guess given because it's adenomatous, mm. there's some neoplastic presence, they're just more likely to beat. I'm not exactly sure why. Yes, okay. But yeah, they are certainly. And, and the, we do present, we do see maybe one a year of a bleeding adenoma. Right. Right. They're usually contained, but you and usually, you know, we treat them. They're usually self-contained. They stop by themselves, and we have to wait almost a year before the hematoma uh, yeah. fully resolves till we know there's an adenoma there. We will always be suspicious there was yes. an adenoma, but yes. yeah, yes. Uh, that's a really excellent overview of that subject too, Mr. Mm-hmm. Again, thank you. You've come through Trump's with some great explanations <laughs> here. Uh, we were talking briefly before about hydatidsis, and how I've mm. seen a few of those referred to me from. Uh, from some of the, um, kind of, I guess, the refugees from Africa. You're seeing some hydatid now? Yeah, yeah I think uh, hydatid was a common thing like 30 years ago. I've been told mm. by mm. some of the older liver surgeons I used to see a lot of it. Um, yeah, hydatid is a tricky beast. I think uh, the type that we see here, and most patients that have hydatid will have inactive hydatid. Um, and how do you work that out? So it, generally... Any, so hydatid is most common in the liver, but you can get in the spleen, lungs, anywhere in the abdomen. Yes. But um, in the liver, if they're calcified, if most, of the, if most of the cyst is calcified, then it's almost certainly inactive. Right. If you can see daughter cells, so, you know, multiple small daughter cysts, I mean, inside, the, then it's, it is active. Yes. Now, hydatid can be well controlled with medication, but they reactivate once you stop the medication yes. often. So yeah. they often need to be surgically treated. So whilst they're on medication, they're fine. Yes. When they come off it, they can cause trouble again. Yes, another great reason to refer to yeah, a hepatotoxic surgeon such as yourself, Mithra. Yeah, but Mithra, this this is high intensity type surgery, isn't it? When you're operating on adenomas, T- tell us what you do, and all your work is high intensity, oh. and you conducted at a very high level. I know you're, oh, thank you. You're, you're, you're renowned actually um, from my colleagues for being very um, 
very deft with your uh, your skills and very respected for that. What do you do to break away from this, to recover a little bit from all the stress and emotion of surgery? Do you, is there a podcast you listen to, for example, oh. something you do that uh, gets you away from I, yeah, I do. I do a lot of driving, so perfect opportunity for podcasts. And I do love I do love stand-up comedy, in particular British yes. comedy. Yes. And there's one that combines two of my loves, is food and comedy, and it's, it's called Off the Menu by um, two British comedians called James A. Castor and Ed Gamble. And it's an absolute uh, romp. It's fantastic. They, they're very funny people. And they get a special guest on every day and they talk about their dream menu. They have to go through their, their, their starter, their main, their dessert, and the drinks and everything. And they just... They get guess row meal. Oh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And it's just very funny. So, there's so many good podcasts. I guess yeah. that's one of the things that the isolation mm. has done is... Maybe listen to all kinds of things. It, yeah, it has. Well, look, thank you so yeah, much for coming and sharing all that with us today. It's been really uh, a great privilege to have you, Misra. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Luke. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Misra as he walked us through his approach to space-occupying lesions of the liver. I think it highlights the importance of a good relationship between the clinician and the radiologist. During the podcast series, we'll be covering a wide range of topics across many specialty interests. The discussions are not intended as specific medical advice for patients, but as general information only, and reflect the opinions of the guests interviewed. Requests for new topics to be reviewed and comments about the conversation you've listened to are welcomed, and maybe email to manager at gihealth.com.au.